Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today, I catch up with Jeffrey Sazowski, class of 2005, litigation counsel at Insurance Auto Auction. Jeffrey will share with us how he made the risky leap from business degree into law school and now serves as in-house attorney for insurance auto auctions. As if that weren't impressive enough, Jeffrey is also a published author of the nonfiction book God Meant It for Good, an incredible true story of Jeffrey's grandfather and his experience in World War II. Jeffrey also released his first work of fiction recently, Death and Default, A Great Recession Murder Mystery. Links to Jeffrey's books can be found on the Podbean episode page or you can search on Amazon. Joining us from the class of 2005 is Jeff Sazowski. Jeff, what do you do? I was hoping you would not introduce me as that old, Brian, but uh, <laughs> am I allowed to call you Brian or should I say Mr. Sure, Turnbaugh? absolutely. Yeah, go for it. All right. Well, Brian, I for my profession is, is I'm a lawyer. Uh, I've been an attorney for about 10 years, and that's how I pay the mortgage. Nice. Jeff, when, when you left West Chicago, did you have law on your mind? What kind of uh, what, what kind of drew you to the career for, of law? I took a business law class at West Chicago, so that was on my mind. Uh, I also took some engineering or drafting classes, so engineering was on my mind. But I ended up going to North Central College in Naperville. They didn't have engineering, so by default, I studied something else. I studied economics and finance, and I kind of put law on the back burner for a while. When, so what was the initial then, what, what kind of then after you finished up at North Central, what was like the next step for you to then say, you know, I think I can give this law thing a go. Well, now we're getting right to my, my novel, Death and Default. Uh, and the reason yeah. is, is because I graduated, the reason that's important is I graduated college in 2009 and that was a terrible time to get jobs in finance or business or really anything um, because that was a great recession. So I, and this is a terrible reason to go to law school, but I didn't have a great option for a career. I looked at, I sort of revisited law, given that it had been on my mind. I had a buddy from North Central who was also going to go to law school, and we kind of worked together to study what that would entail, look into what that would entail. And uh, like I said, never do it because you don't have a a better option, but that uh, that was a big part of it. Just, just to kind of rewind a little bit, <clears throat> your time at uh, North Central, um, how, what, was, what was some of your favorite coursework in economics? Oh, so I love principles of microeconomics. It's a class I ended up actually teaching later as an adjunct professor, and that was a class I, I absolutely loved. I also took some pretty interesting classes on 
uh, history of thought. And these are classes that are very much not what I do for a living or anything like that, but sort of studying the development of science, the development of literature. Uh, that was part of a like kind of a college honors program. So those classes were always interesting. And I also took German uh, and that was unexpected, not something I had anticipated studying while I was in college. How much leeway did you have in kind of des designing the course when you were teaching that, that class? Well, I was given lots of latitude <laughs> and I taught it five times. I taught a few other courses at North Central later when I had started my career as a lawyer. I taught some law classes too, and and they gave me a lot of a lot of latitude, and I was able to bring real world experiences into the classroom. And when I reviewed uh, my reviews from students, that was one of the things they liked the best about my courses that I was able to bring real life into the classroom. How, so, when was the last time you taught uh, those courses? Actually, it's been it was right before the pandemic, <laughs> and ah. I was recently invited back, and I had to turn it down because I have a lot going on right now. Uh, with my career and I was just it was just not the right time to jump back into it but I love teaching and it's something I'm almost always ready to do let's let's go into then you decided to pursue law school where did you go and and tell me about the type of coursework that you did there absolutely so uh, Brian I as I mentioned earlier graduated from North Central uh, took an exam called the LSAT or LSAT most people say LSAT and that's an entrance exam so you take that entrance exam, you apply to law school. It's it's a pretty rigorous process. And I went to Chicago Kent. It's in it's in the city. It's on Adams Street downtown. Took the metro there uh, from West Chicago every day from actually from Winfield and started studying with all the first year students the same exact courses. Every first year student is going to take criminal law. They're going to take torts. They're going to take contracts. They're going to take legal writing and then constitutional law and some more legal writing. <laughs> I think it's probably a good time to ask, as you were in, engaging in as a, as a first-year uh, law student, how, what are some of your best tips of how to study? Uh, because, I mean, I, I'm always looking for different ways in which to think about how to best maximize thought and re retention. Uh, what did you find worked best for you? Are you saying it actually in terms of study techniques or in terms of sort of skills and aptitudes that were helpful for law school? Uh, I will go. How about you answer that <laughs> either way? I, I'm OK with uh, either 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 one of those directions will be fruitful. I'll do both then. Uh, first, I'll give an overarching tip that will apply to any grad school and college. And that tip is don't make the same mistake I made in undergrad. The mistake I made in undergrad was trying to watch a football game while trying to study or trying to hang out with friends while studying or trying to play some video games while studying. Uh, everybody in undergrad does that. They mix business with pleasure as it, as it is, right? As they say. And it's terrible because you don't get to enjoy the fun and you're not actually studying well. So the thing I did in law school that was different is I completely separated the two. When I was studying, I was studying. When I was relaxing, I was relaxing. Completely drew a line. And I still to this day do that. And that is a huge tip for college, for law school, for any other professional school that you go to. So first, that's kind of a, a technique, let's call it. Uh, and then I can talk a little bit about 
skills and aptitudes for law school if you'd like. Oh yeah, please do. Or is that a, was that a complete enough answer for your first? Oh yeah, that was, that was fantastic. I mean, it's, it's such a, an important kind of mindset and discipline, what you just described to, to do there, <laughs> to keep those things absolutely separate. So true. We live in a world of distractions, right? We live oh, in a world yeah. of, of screens and social media and streaming and, and those things have value and benefit. I really believe that. I'm a guy who does watch a TV show from time to time. I, I, I promise. But yeah. Our attention spans are short. Our attention is divided. Everyone is clamoring for it. So I really want to be careful to guard myself to not try to mix those two things. And then, as I always say, then you don't really enjoy either one of them and you're not really succeeding in either one of them. So I, I do believe it, especially in today's world of short attention spans. Um, but circling back to, to law school for a moment, it's not for everyone. <laughs> I alluded to this earlier when I said I went for a bad reason. So law school is not for, for everyone. Who is it for? It's for people who really enjoy reading, people who enjoy writing, people who enjoy uh, logic and reasoning. And usually you hear someone say, well, I should have gone to law school because I'm good at arguing. Or my parents say I should go to law school because I'm a good arguer. Uh, bad reasons to go. <laughs> if you like, if you like reading and writing, good reason to go. If you like sitting alone with stacks of documents to read through, good reason to go. And I think that that actually highlights a really important point that I was a first gen. I am a first generation lawyer. I have no lawyers in in my family. I'm just a kid that went to West Chicago High School and sort of tried hard and took advantage of the opportunities I had at West Chicago, which were many. And I, I was able to take advantage of so many opportunities there. Uh, so when I went to law school and I walked in the first day, I was very intimidated because they said, raise your hand if your dad's a lawyer, or your mom's a lawyer. And, you know, half the students raise their hand. Raise your hand if your dad's a, or mom's a judge. And, you know, you have hands go up. There. <laughs> These are oh, yeah. children of judges, right? And then, yeah. and then you have, you know, raise your hand if you have a master's degree. Or, oh, we have, you know, we actually have eight students with doctorate degrees in, in class and PhDs. And I'm sitting there on my first day, I'm, I'm 23, uh, 22 years old, and I'm thinking, I don't belong here. <laughs> I don't have anybody in my family who is a lawyer. What am I doing here? Uh, I ended up being successful a, a lot because of what I alluded to before. I, I studied not necessarily more, but just better. And I did a lot of reading and writing. So so your first year, they give you kind of a, 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 a broad selection of the type of Laws, criminal law, torts, and, and all of that. And then, when when do you start maybe getting uh, a specialty, or does that when when exactly do you start kind of leaning towards a preference? That's a great question. Uh, a lot of students go to law school knowing day one I'm going to be a fam I'm going to do family law. Well, maybe because their mom or dad is a family lawyer and there's a practice that they can go work at, right? Or they say I want to be a prosecutor because I'm passionate about keeping communities safe and putting criminals behind bars. Or they say I want to be a defense attorney, criminal defense attorney, because I'm passionate about constitutional rights. And I want to make sure that people accused of crimes are able to have their constitutional rights protected and so on and so forth. It's a common misconception that law school has a major. It does not. You don't major in anything. You can get sort of certificates or specializations, but even that's pretty rare. Usually you just get a general law degree and you have flexibility in your second and third years to pick courses that you like. But the leap, you know, the 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 system of law school is sort of famously broken. Maybe in the same way that some people say higher ed is broken. 
And it's broken because it's, it's not practical, which you learn very often. And it's also broken because the best students with the best grades go to work at the mega law firms. And it doesn't really matter what courses they took. It just matters that they're the top student on paper and they go to the mega firm. So there are, there are some uh, cracks <laughs> in the tower, as it were. Now, you have to, at some point, see the light at the end of the tunnel, which is getting on the other side of the bar exam. What's prep like for that? How long does it take? And what was that whole process like for you? That's a great question. I'll tell you a funny story first, though. And it's not about it's it's not it's about the light at the end of the tunnel. So yeah. I so I so I didn't really want to go to law school. Like I said, I was a little hesitant. I had just finished four years of undergrad, and that seemed like a lot, even for somebody like me who sort of enjoys school and did a pretty good job. It seemed like a lot, and the thought of three more years was overwhelming and very unappealing. And so I'm taking the train down for my first day, and in my head, I'm just saying to myself, I can't wait for this to be over. And in that same meeting where they said, who's got a mom or dad that's a lawyer? And who's in that same meeting, the dean of students says, if you're sitting in your seat thinking to yourself, I can't wait for this to be over, you're in trouble. <laughs> it's a true story because that's all I could think was, I got to get out of yeah. here. And the dean is saying, if that's your mindset, you're, you're, you're toast. But you do get through. You do see the light at the end of the tunnel. Second year is easier than first year. Third year is easier than second year. And then you're, grad, you're finishing your last class. And then you're graduating. And for me, I actually had a very unique experience. I took my last law school final on a Friday. I got married the next day on Saturday. <laughs> I, went to, yeah, I went on my honeymoon for about two weeks to Hawaii with my wife, uh, who I love and who I worked at West Chicago for a time. And then I get back and I literally got back. And the next day I do law school graduation. And then I'm newly married living in, you know, kind of on my own in an apartment with my wife for the first time. And I'm studying for the bar exam every day by myself in the apartment, uh, trying to follow along because, you know, almost everyone took those courses virtually, even before the pandemic. That was just a virtual, it was mostly a virtual mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, uh, because I was also working at a law firm too. I, 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 I was married, so I had to earn money. And I was working and studying at the same time. And it is, uh, it's an overwhelming prospect to study for the bar exam. <laughs> well, I would, just the amount of time, it, it must have been absolutely gobbled up by not only just your, your, your job job, but then, then to just then go into the review and, and all that. What, what, do, what do you know of the type of questions prior going into the assessment like that? Like, That's I mean, a great is, question is it, too. Yeah. Uh, the, the, so the bar is is probably probably as broken as law school. <laughs> Why is it broken? Well, the bar exam is very, very heavily based on things like memorization, uh, which is not really what law school teaches you and is not really what you need to be a good lawyer. So the classes you take, the professor will lecture uh, in the in the review. You have to take a review course. I should have mentioned that. If you don't take a review course, your odds of passing the bar are much lower. So you actually have to pay a, a couple thousand dollars okay. after law school <laughs> to take a review course where the professors will literally just read basically outlines. They just read outlines and they will say the elements of murder are one, there must be a killing of a human being, two, by another human being, three, without justification, four. And it's like 
okay. And then the elements of robbery are one, there's a taking of prop, you know, and so it's, it's very rote and sort of, uh, it's, it's just a boring experience. It's testing me on things that I don't need to memorize and that I don't really need to be a good lawyer. And it's, it's tough. Uh, and then there's a writing portion too. And so what do you know about the questions before you go in? I think you have a pretty good idea what's going to be on it, but there's a, there's a huge volume of questions. And there's also that stress or pressure knowing that if you don't pass, you could lose your law firm job. If you don't pass, you could wait six more months to become a lawyer. If you don't pass, you could get laughed at by your classmates and whatnot. So um, the pressure and the stress of it uh, adds an element that even though you know what's coming, I will. I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't pretty worried. <laughs> uh, so after you took the the, the bar, uh, what what was the, how were you informed and what was what was that like? Oh man, that's I, that's just all a blur. I tried to block out, right, Brian? You don't <laughs> you don't want to remember those <laughs> that stress and, and that <laughs> that anticipation. But typically, the timeline for almost every law student in the country is you graduate kind of like an April May thing, as as if you are an undergrad. You take the bar, usually in, in Illinois, it's July. You get your results in maybe, I want to say like kind of middle of September-ish. So you do have to wait about, you know, maybe about six or eight weeks. And then they swear you in. Everybody gets sworn in on the same day. So I think it was like November 1st of 2012. I graduated in May of 2012, got, mar- or got married in April of 2012, graduated in May of 2012. Uh, and then sworn in November 1st, 2012. And, but when I ever, whenever I got that email that said, congratulations, you've passed. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a moment I blocked out of my mind. <laughs> I just, the anticipation of like just clicking open must've been just. Uh, in the old days, it was, it was a physical mail letter that you had to write oh, wow. too, right? Yeah, so, right. Um, oh yeah. You had to get the whole letter opener and all that. Running to the mailbox every day. Yeah. <laughs> Very cinematic. The um, okay, so so wonderful news. You, you get the letter, you open it, and then and so w- you were already working at that firm. Was employment at that firm contingent on passing the bar? Did you remain with them? And and what was your um, what was your first move after that? Yeah, it's pretty rare for a firm to say to directly tell you that employment is contingent on passing. That's not the way it works, but there's, there's implicit threats and promises and whatnot. And it probably depends quite a bit on if they otherwise like you, if they otherwise need you, uh, there's other factors that play in, but, um, you, you know, you'd alluded before we started the, the tape, you know, what kind of internship or practice, you know, kind of practical Mm -hmm. training, uh, do you, do you get? And if none of that's required, the, in, in Illinois to become a lawyer, you can work zero hours at a law firm and you just pass the bar and, and you can get hired. Uh, most students uh, take on a role called a law clerk. And a law clerk is a law student who's not yet passed the bar, but who works at a law firm. Uh, not super well paid, of course, uh, in most instances, but receiving lots of practical hands-on training. I did that starting in the summer after my first year of law school. I stayed on in the fall. I stayed on throughout law school, even when I was studying for the bar, most of the time I was still putting in a few hours here and there. And then uh, when you get the news, they say, great, now you're a lawyer here. Now we pay you, you know, an actual wage (laughs) that you've passed, (laughs) passed the bar and congratulations. So I did, I did that. I stayed all the way from the summer of my 
after my first year of law school all the way till about 2019. So I was at the firm about nine years, a couple years as a clerk and the other years as, as a lawyer. No. So now, um, what was, what then became the, uh, the focus or the specialty of, of your uh, law practice then? Yeah. Great question. Uh, I worked at a, a smaller firm in Naperville and probably about 80 to 90% of the work I did was representing businesses in disputes with other businesses or representing businesses in putting together contracts and deals with other businesses. So I considered myself to be a business lawyer and I would say that was most of what I did, but I was involved in uh, quite a few other, you know, relatively high profile and high value cases. The firm was small, but it has good lawyers and has a good reputation. And so we were able to get involved in cases throughout the country. Uh, <clears throat> some were very interesting and some were reading those giant stacks of documents that I alluded to earlier. Yeah, I, was, I wonder like, you know, you see both ends of that when we have the law career uh, represented for us on television and in film. What's what is the balance of really just having to, you know, with a fine tooth comb, go through documents and even, you know, check grammar on, on some of these the ways in which things were kind of left with, you know, unknown clauses, you know, in the way in which it was written versus the, you know, the very the, the flair for the dramatic of what you see happen in depositions and all that. Um, what was what's what is your uh, what, what's the uh, the balance of what you have in, in, in your uh, in your job? Both are true, Brian. There are some yeah. very mundane moments that actually matter, and there's some very exciting and dramatic moments that actually matter, right? And so, you know, there are famous stories of, like you said, a, a, a comma was left out of a clause in a contract that changes the meaning, right? And sometimes to the tune of millions and even tens of millions of dollars because a comma was omitted. It's happened. Uh, and then at the same time, these dramatic moments we see on on. Uh, True Life TV, there's a case going on right now, a uh, murder trial in South Carolina that many people in the country are watching, and it's very dramatic. And trials are like that. Trials are dramatic. Awaiting a verdict is dramatic, even whether it's a civil case or a criminal case. That's real life drama. And there are some TV shows uh, that get some things right. I'll mention two. One is Better Call Saul. That is a, a, tr a very well done, very realistic look at the legal profession. Better Call Saul gets it right. Their courtroom scenes are well done. And the sort of client management and hustling for work, there's a lot There's a lot there. The other one I'll mention, this is maybe for fun. You could cut it if you don't like it. But the other one is Suits. Suits is a great show that has nothing to do with being a lawyer except for one thing, leverage. In this show, uh -huh. Suits, they don't win the case because they find a really good case buried in in, in the annals, right? Buried deep in the case books. They win it because they know how to push buttons and how to twist arms with leverage. And that's something, that's a, a lesson that took me almost 10 years to learn is that sometimes being a good lawyer means finding that case buried in the case books. But sometimes it means winning the case some other way. And I don't mean in an unethical way, but in a way that um, is able to sort of, I, there's no other way, no, no other word for it besides leverage. It's fascinating. I love Better Call Saul, by the way. That was uh, uh, a masterpiece. It's a great uh, show. show. It's a great Love show. It. Very well. And it's very accurate. So if you yeah. like it, oh, you can know. pat yeah. yourself on the back because you picked a, you picked one that's actually, I think, very true to life. 
Now you you started off that firm and then you now are at a, a new uh, a firm. Uh, what what uh, what's the what is the new focus of what you're doing now? So I made the choice in uh, May or June of 2019 to leave uh, my law firm. And in fact, I did not go to a different law firm. It's very common for lawyers to bounce around from firm to firm to firm. But I actually made in a quasi career change. I went from being a lawyer at a law firm to a lawyer at a corporation. I work in house for a public company in the e-commerce sphere. And I basically have one client. It's the company I work for. Whereas when you're at a law firm, your clients are whatever company or individual walks through the door. Uh, I have one client. It's my company. My company pays me to provide unlimited legal advice and unlimited legal services to it. Uh, In the same way that if I was an accountant for a company, I'd provide accounting services to it. Well, I provide legal services to this corporation. Why is that preferable? Is it because you have is does it somehow make it more consistent but more predictable in terms of what you have uh, coming up on your docket, so to speak? So that's a that's a really really good question, really good question because a lot of lawyers make that switch to go from a law firm to, to what's called in house, right? They go from outside counsel to in house counsel, and that switch is famous. If you talk to lawyers, they all say hey, I'd like to do that someday, or all my friends did that. Or uh, some people say, well, I stayed at the law firm because I made partner and, and that was more lucrative. So why why is it preferred? Well, it's just a preference. Some people would want to be at a law firm forever. The benefits as I see them, uh, it, you know, I think, I think we should enumerate a couple ones. One is typically, and this is a, gener- this is a generalization, but typically the hours are better. So typically you're working more like 45 to 50 hours instead of more. (laughs) Uh, That's a generalization, but it has been true for me. Um, But, and in some cases, the pay or benefits can be better because you work for a corporation and you're a valued employee at a corporation and that can come with bonuses, but you can get bonuses at law firms too. So the pay could be better, the pay could be worse. But besides hours and pay, let's actually enumerate some of the uh, intangibles, shall we say. And I think this is the one I'm most excited about. Every day I go to work, I'm helping the company move forward. I'm not just parachuting in to fight a fight for a business and then fighting that fight and then saying, great, good luck, see you never, or see you when your next fight comes along. I'm actually every day helping the business meet its objectives. That's really important to me, and it gives me a lot of personal pride and satisfaction at work. Another big uh, difference is that I don't only get involved when there's a problem. I can get involved ahead of time to hopefully prevent some problems. And the last thing I'll say is that I can build maybe deeper relationships because I have coworkers instead of clients who, as I said earlier, pop in and pop out or come in for one dispute and then you don't see them for years. I have the same coworkers every day at my company. So uh, those are some intangible benefits. It's interesting what you said about being able to kind of forecast future bumps in what you see, because like maybe there was uh, some quirk in a, a contract that keeps yep. on coming yep. up and you can iron that out. So that's really interesting. I, I, li- I like that. Uh, how much travel is involved uh, for this? Or do you get to stay close or do you get to kind of move around the country a little bit for certain cases or is it mostly uh, 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 stay, stay put? Well, like everything else, <laughs> the pandemic <laughs> has changed everything. Um, 
and, and that includes the field of law and it includes my personal job, right? And so generally we, so we operate in 50 states, we operate in Canada and the UK. And that means that pre-pandemic, I did travel to uh, depositions or uh, mediations in several states, well, you know, in, in the sort of nine months before the pandemic hit when I was at, when I had started this new in-house position. So there was a lot of travel possibilities and then the pandemic hit and then people said, wait a second, we can do depositions remotely. We can do court appearances remotely. We can do a lot of things that used to require travel mediation, et cetera, remotely save a bunch of money, time, and really get very similar results. Now, you, I could go on for probably an hour about the disputes and uh, disagreements in the legal community if a deposition should be taken virtually or in person. And you, the old guard would say, those men and women who practice law for 30 years would say, you can never take a deposition virtually. And um, now we're at the point where I would say probably 80% of depositions are virtual and, and that might be here to stay, maybe 60, 60 to 80%. Yeah. At one yeah. point, it was probably 5%. <laughs> I also want to kind of switch into uh, this other accomplishment that you have. I mean, obviously what you do and what you've done with your legal career is, is, is incredible. Um, but you also, you know, you took on a, another kind of project that's very close to your family. You have written a book and I was wondering if you could maybe talk to me about like how you began that journey uh, of, of wanting to write that book and, and kind of just give us a, a background on the story of this really incredible story that was in your family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I assume you mean the biography of my, my grandpa that's been out for a few years. Yes. Okay, let's start with that one. <laughs> um, and the story there is really cool, I think, because the story goes all the way back to North Central College when I was studying German. And North Central College, like West Chicago, has lots of opportunities for students. If they, if they want to seek them out, there are opportunities there. And one such opportunity was you could get research grants. You could apply through the college for research grants to travel uh, to, to various places, do various research projects. Uh, one example was my, my wife, uh, at the time she was my girlfriend, but we were part of a group who went to Guatemala and studied fair trade coffee. And it was incredible and it was great. And it was even better because this, the college paid for it for, through the grant. <laughs> I applied for a second grant to go to Germany and I did it because I thought it would be fun to go to Germany. <laughs> but I also, I had to do a research project and the research project was to, to meet up with some of my grandpa's distant relatives there. I had, I had met them one other time on a family trip, but I went back to meet them and talk about my grandpa's life in Germany during World War II. And as part of that, so I did some interviews. I spoke even with some high school students in Germany that obviously didn't know my grandpa, but they had opinions about um, history and the war and what, you know, how much studying of that should, should be done in Germany. They don't like to talk about World War II. So is that healthy? Is that good? So I was able to dialogue with some students there as well. I did a research project. It was about a 30 to 40 page paper with my interviews and my research, and I presented it as at a symposium. But don't lose sight of the fact, Brian, that I got a free trip to Germany. <laughs> I'm not saying that's why I did it. Yeah. I'm saying that was a nice benefit. Um, apologies to North Central. So that was that was a project just sort of about, an, it was basically an oral history of my grandfather's life. And an oral history just means in, in historical terms or in acad academic terms, it's not written down anywhere. It's people's remember people's memories, and you compile them 
to preserve them. And so I did that in, in 2009, and then I did nothing on it for about six years, seven years, like all good projects that it gets set aside. So I'll pause there because that's how it all started. And now I can tell you how I finished it if you like. Yeah, please. Okay, so I revisited it. Um, my grandfather's getting up in eight, getting up in years, and he's somebody I really admire and respect. And he's he's a he's a good he's a good man. He's a man who is uh, who's honorable and who is wise and caring. So I wanted to make sure that I preserved his legacy beyond an academic paper. So I started turning the paper into uh, basically a it's a true story, but it, it reads as if it's it reads like a narrative, like a, like a fictional book, but it's a true story. Um, maybe if you've read, looking at my bookshelf here, uh, Eric Larson, he's a famous uh, author who wrote The Devil in the White City and in yeah, the Garden of Beasts. Yeah. And so he, I kind of emulated his style where it's all, it's all fo- there's lots of footnotes, but you don't need to read the footnotes. You can just plow through the story and enjoy the story. And in doing that, I <clears throat> realized and, and I, I, I understood that my grandpa's faith was very important to him. It's a big part of who he was. So I did take the book that direction. And the title is God Meant It for Good, which if, you, if you've if you seen things about anything about Joseph, the guy with the dream coat, everybody knows Joseph. He was sold into slavery. And at the end of his story, he said that my brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that is really about my grandpa's story that he had some really tough things happen to him. He got sent, he was born in Chicago, but got sent back to Germany in 1933. That is not a good time to go back to no, Germany. No. And he was poor and he was raised on a farm and he ended up in an American POW camp, even though he was a U.S. citizen. So I don't want to give away too much, but he had a really tough spell over there. But in his, from his perspective, this was all really for his good and to, to mold him and shape him from somebody who hated America to somebody who was able to come back and start a life here, have a family. And then he actually ended up serving in the U S army during the Korean war. So he's one of the very few people who was uh, in Germany during world war II, And then also was a, a soldier for the the United States army. So that's kind of a, a long story of why the book's titled what the book is titled and also kind of how I, how I wrote it all down. I was wondering, you know, like the actual process uh, of writing it, like how, so you said you, you tailed it for a a few years, but then when you actually started to type it out and and all that, what did you, how did you have, did you have people that you kind of had help you edit it? And, 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 and typically how long would you sit down for a writing session to kind of then uh, start kind of, you're really getting some traction and having some page count. (laughs) That, that, now this reminds me a little bit of your question about, studying for the bar exam, something I've tried to block out of my mind. Um, if you, if you write well, it's very enjoyable, but if you write well, it's also laborious and it's also uh, a weighty thing. And it is a, uh, just, it can be a tedious process. Right. And, and I'm, and I know, you know that. <laughs> um, so to answer your question, I typically, the way I approach both God Meant It for Good, and my new book, Death and Default, which is completely different. It's a fictional story, and it's just for fun. Um, but the way I approach both books is I typically would write for about an hour or 90 minutes in the evening, 
um, after work, after coming home, working out, having dinner. And then, you know, my wife is kind enough to do some household chores or grocery shop and meal prep. And then that's when I would write for about 60 to 90 minutes. And I would do that a lot. <laughs> and then Saturday, I, you know, most Saturdays I'd be looking at spending, you know, probably three hours on, on a typical Saturday to write and rewrite. And um, it's, it's probably the easiest to write it down the first time. And then every time you edit it, it gets harder and harder. <laughs> what was some of like the, like the big kind of takeaways in terms of like where once you had the whole story, what it, what you felt was done, what kind of like kind of took your breath away in terms of either like the historical, uh, how, how profound historically it was, or, and even to some extent, like what you said, the, the, the real strength of the human spirit, what were some of like the things that you're like, when you're all, when it was all done, you're like, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing question. And I, I could probably talk for an hour on that too. Uh, uh, my mom, what my mom helped me edit uh, the book because my, my grandpa is, it's my maternal grandfather. Uh, so my mom's dad. And so she was very inclined to help me edit it. And so we worked through it. We argued over how to present certain things. And I said, this is my work. I'll present it how, how I want to. And she said, you can't say it that way. So that there was the editing. That was the most hostile editor uh, maybe anybody's ever had. But but what struck me in finishing it, I'll say a few things. I'll say uh, to be human means to be part of a story. I believe that all of humanity is a story. And I believe that every individual person is a, is a story. And I believe that that story can look very similar to the movies we watch from Hollywood, the books we read. There is an arc. There is conflict. There's resolution. Um, and in, for my grandpa, his life could have gone a hundred different ways. He could have been killed. If you read the book, there are very dangerous moments where he could have been killed. He could have just died, not even because someone shot him, but because he was starving to death you know, during the war and the aftermath. So his story could have gone a million ways, but his story is one of good triumphing over evil because that's, that's an important theme that we see in, you know, the most basic Hollywood movie, whatever you want to say, Star Wars, Marvel, the most popular movies, uh, all have the theme of good triumphing over evil. I believe that's true in my grandpa's life, and I believe that I was able to see that once I wrote it down. But it's not just that good triumphed over evil. It's that my grandpa chose to not let the evil things that happened to him define him. And we live in a time when a lot of bad things happen to people. They do. And that is not, I do not take that lightly, but how we respond and react can often determine how the story ends. And so I was able to see that my grandpa, he had a hard heart. He did not like America and he had no place for faith um, because of the bad things that happened to him. But his story ended the complete opposite way. And that was a lot because of him having, him being receptive to hearing and him being receptive to changing. And I think a lot of times people are not very receptive to changing, right? <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's too, oh, that maybe it's too philosophical, but. As you said, like the redemptive arc of that, where we thought that the door 
was theoretically closed and many people do close it, but he, yeah. he found a way uh, to then you know, have all of that uh, and more at, at the end. What a gift it is that you were able to, to work with your mom and, and, and really secure the legacy of this incredible family story. It's just phenomenal. That's the best part What's of a the... book is once it's written down, it is done. It's there yeah, forever. Yeah, and exactly. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. So, uh, so tell me more about uh, where the, the new book then. Yeah. So I, I promoted uh, God meant it for good a little bit, but it came out in December of 2019 and I had a, a nice little meet and greet at my house and, you know, people were able to meet my grandpa and they had read the book by then. And we did a Q and a, and that was in February of 2020. So I had all these big plans for where we were going next right. to promote the book. And then it, I didn't promote it much. Um, sold a bunch of copies, not enough to pay the mortgage, but it was just nice to share the story. And then my wife said, what about your novel? What about your novel? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I was kind of done writing because I finished the book about my grandpa. So I'm, I'm pretty much done here. And she said, well, you have the novel to finish. <laughs> and I said, I don't know if you heard me. I'm done. And she won. Um, the novel began in, in law school. I was uh, overworked. I was very stressed. And there were times when I'd ride the train home from... Um, uh, from law school, just being, I could not study anymore, but I just would sometimes write a paragraph or two about these characters I had in my head. And, uh, and I had a, a close friend, uh, a pastor at my church. And I told him one day, I was like, you know, this stuff I'm doing with the great recession and banking is really interesting. You could write a book out of it. And he said, I bet you couldn't do that. <laughs> and he was just kind of messing with me, right? And I was like, no, no, I, I, I can. <laughs> and this was in probably 2010 or 11. He said, I, I said, I can and I will. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, I just sort of wrote it a paragraph at a time, a page at a time. And then, of course, with getting married and um, the bar exam and all that, it got set aside, just like, just like God meant it for good. It got set aside. Uh, my wife said, you've got to finish the rough draft. And that was maybe 2014 or 2015. And it was rough and bad. And I never wanted to open it again. <laughs> and then once I finished God meant it for good in, in 2021 or 2020, it's the pandemic and there's nothing else to do. And my wife said, now you're going to finish it. And I just edited it and edited it and edited it and just finished it about two months ago and just launched it about maybe three weeks ago. Well, wow. So that, so what's, what's promotion like then? Uh, it's been slow as well. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll say the podcast is going to help me out, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I, I gotta say it's probably a weakness of mine. I, I don't, I enjoy writing. I think my writing is good. I, I, I know that's, that sounds a little bit braggy, but I, I'm proud of the work I've done, but I'm just not much of a salesman or a promoter. So there are options for it, but I just really haven't done much of that yet. When you were mapping out the, you know, certain kind of plot lines, like do you, like how do you organize that? Do you have like a big wall and you move like post-it notes around? Like how does the mind of a writer work when you're kind of trying to think about just the initial kind of interactions with characters who have not yet met each other? And then like, you know, what, where are they going to have this kind of next heap of a entanglement that's going to forward the plot and all that? Like, how do you, uh, what's, what's, where's, where's the place of Zen where you uh, kind of find the most kind of creativity? 
Wow, I sure wish I would have used a storyboard like you just described with the post-its. Uh, that would have, postcards or post-its. That would have been a, a lot more helpful than the way I did it. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was very interesting because to go from writing my grandpa's story, which I didn't invent anything. I had to maybe create some dialogue because, you know, nobody remembers exactly what they said um, 70 years ago. But I didn't, the plot was the plot. And I took the plot and I made it into a story and I put some, it's a framing device and I did some, you know, I used some, what I consider to be somewhat clever framing devices and and rhetorical devices. Uh, But the story was a story. And so everybody liked the story because it's an awesome story, but I didn't come up with it. So, you know, that was, and then to then to take a fictional book and make that your story. Oh, it's like so overwhelming and it's so, uh, it's, 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 it's really, uh, well, it's, it's intimidating to, 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 yeah. to have to say, this is my character with my plot. And if you don't like it, then you're not, you're not going to like it. Right. Um, so, but to answer your question a little bit more directly, even though it's a fictional book, I think I use some of the same techniques from God meant it for good because I was able to some of these characters are based on people I encountered in law school or um, when I was a new lawyer. And so I had in my mind the character, I think mostly, the character was in my mind. And I think the story flowed from the characters that, that, are, that are fictional, but are based in some reality. So it was almost like an overlapping technique because I'm using some true to life things to then write the story. So do you, do you have, um, is, has the, so in the publishing of the new book, you said it, you finished three weeks ago, or did you say it's published three weeks ago? I I missed the the timeline on that. Yeah. I finished the book. I mean, I think I could say I finished editing probably the end of, of 2022, but there was a lot of layout cover art, things like that to do, uh, in the first month or so. So the book has been out for, uh, well, we'll call it three weeks. (laughs) It's been available on Amazon for three weeks. Yeah. How much do you think that because you write so much in your job that just somehow that kind of creates a, just a different flow for you because you, you do write, you know, I know it's a different kind of creativity, but like, just because part of it is communication, like how much do you think that it kind of gives you an edge? Yeah. I was, I was talking about that with my wife, uh, in preparation when we were eating dinner tonight, preparation for the podcast. I think it's a chicken or the egg thing because Uh. I think in some ways I became a lawyer because I was a good writer, not the other way around. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm not sure that I first became a lawyer and then became a good writer. But at the same time, even though it's a chicken or the egg thing and and I'm not entirely sure where I land on it, it, there are synergies. No question. There's no question. There's synergies, but there's also, ugh, there's also the the dread of having to write more after writing. (laughs) And so if I had to say the, the synergies are this, I would say being precise is required in legal writing, and it's also required in writing anything else because you can't have typos. Obviously you can't have in my, uh, in my murder mystery, death and default, you can't have threads that don't go somewhere. You can't have 
uh, a re- resolution of a plot that the reader says, well, wait a second, that doesn't, the timeline doesn't work out there, right? The, for the murder. Um, you can't tell a story about, uh, about Germany, a true story about Germany and say that he landed in, you know, Bremerhaven in 1933, but then you've got him on, on the farm in 1932. That doesn't work. It's the, the chronological, it's chronologically incorrect. And so same is true as a lawyer. Like you can't make a legal argument where a, you know, B doesn't follow a and C follows B, which follows A. You have to be precise and logical. And that's an overlap of skills. Uh, I'm sure there's more things, but that's what comes to mind. Jeff, I like uh, ending the the interview with uh, tips for success for current Wildcats. You've given us so many already, but I was wondering if you have any uh, any other uh, pearls of wisdom for us. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to end it because I, I could do this for an hour too. Uh, I've been reflecting a lot on, on that question recently before you even asked me to do the podcast. There's a lot of reasons I've been reflecting on it, and I won't go into why. I'll just say I've done the reflection. Uh, first of all, for current Wildcats listening, you guys have amazing teachers, amazing opportunities. It's a great school. I love that I went there. I'm so proud that I went to West Chicago. I would do anything for West Chicago. Don't sell yourself short. Don't sell the school short. Don't say that you can't do it. Take advantage of these opportunities and these teachers who really care about you. Brian did not give me any money to say that. That is genuine. <laughs> that is true. I mean it. I mean it. Uh, my wife worked there. I think it's a, a wonderful place with wonderful teachers. But to be a little bit more uh, specific, or maybe if you're listening and you don't go to West Chicago or you graduated already and you say, I can't take advantage of those opportunities because I've graduated, whatever the, the case may be, um, let me give you just uh, three or four quick ones. One is, if it was easy, everyone would do it. That's true about life. If it was easy to make a bunch of money, everyone would do it. If it was easy to write a book, everyone would do it. If it was easy to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, everyone would do it. Life is hard. You have to do the hard things. So that's what I'll, that's the second piece of advice. First piece of advice is about how great West Chicago is. That was the second. Third, and this comes from my old boss at the law firm, make choices which broaden your possibilities. You want to try to make a choice that gives you more options, not less options. And there's a lot of ways that that can happen. <laughs> um, you know, doing something dumb at school and getting an in-school suspension gives you less possibilities. Um, paying attention and listening gives you more possibilities. That's just a, a silly example. But in life, you've, you've got to make sure that you are making choices which broaden your possibilities. I'll also say this, and this, is, this dovetails nicely. Don't just broaden the possibilities. Take a step in a direction. A lot of people say, I was going to go to law school. A lot of people say, I'm working on a book. A lot of people say, someday I'll do this. My old boss would always say, just take a step in a direction. I don't know how to write this brief. I don't know what legal argument to make. Put something on paper. Take a step in a direction. We're so often suffering from paralysis by analysis. I do it too. I do it too. But you got to take a a step in the right direction. And then... Maybe I'll, I'll end on this one. I'm not saying this is the last question, but maybe I'll end on this one. Um, the pain, because I think this ties in with writing books in law school, the pain of finishing a project is better than mm, the burden <laughs> of having it hanging over your head. Uh, and so yeah. an example would be, I've always wanted, you know, 
I've always wanted to run a marathon. In the back of my head, it's haunting me. I've got to run a marathon someday. It's something I want to do. And it's just a burden just hanging over me. And one day, and it comes back to my wife, she said, this is the year you're running the marathon. And, you know, we're training for it and we're doing it. And now no one can take that away from me. The books are done. I have the law degree. I ran the marathon. These were very hard things to do. Um, and it, they were painful to finish. But now they're done. And I don't have that burden hanging over my head saying someday, someday, someday. Because that I hated that burden hanging over me. Ah, wow. Fantastic. I mean, all, all of those are just like three incredible accomplishments, you know, in such, you know, physical and uh, intellectual and artistic Everests that you have, uh, that you've uh, climbed already. It so sounds so just, braggy. I hate it, Brian. Maybe you should edit that out. I, <laughs> I'll edit my, my praise. Of the, uh, no, I mean out, it. No. I mean it in yeah. an encouraging way. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm no, just I, a, I don't think it came off that way yeah. at all. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a normal uh, guy. Like, I, I, yeah. I got a good wife, I guess, but like, I'm just a normal guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that was awesome. That was great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much and best of luck. And uh, we can't wait for more and more great novels coming out of you in the future. This is fun. Brian, I'm truly honored that you would uh, take time on, on a Sunday evening to talk with me. I'm truly honored you'd pick me for this. And like I said, I, I love West Chicago, whatever you need, just let me know. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Have a great night. Thanks for listening us a favor and spread the word about we go places by sharing our interviews with other wildcats if you want to search past episodes or stay current subscribe on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts or anywhere where you can get your podcasts just search we go places you can follow we go places on our facebook page as well and also twitter at we go places podcast and if you know a former wildcat who would be a great guest send me a direct message on facebook twitter or at Turnbow at d94.org. Yeah.